and what it is that God has called us to do, one of the things is to share the gospel message with those around. If you've ever sort of floundered and said, what, uh, God, what do you want of me? One of the most important things he's called us to do is to share the gospel message. And unfortunately, through the years, churches have become pretty weak in, in really training people to do that. And it's not like you need a theology degree or Bible school degree to do that. A lot of it is done by our life, but there's some important things that we need to um, address with people to really make sure that they're understanding what a relationship with Christ is. Because um, the way to start it, by the way, is not to ask somebody if they're a Christian, because everybody's a Christian. If you go around the world and you just ask her around the United States and you say, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Christian has become sort of uh, synonymous with uh, I'm a Lutheran, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Presbyterian, I'm a non-denominational, I'm, I'm a this or I'm a that. If you really want to know where somebody's spiritual condition is, you may ask them a question like, do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Can you give me your testimony? And I think you would be amazed that when you listen to people, that sometimes people say, uh, again, you know, if you ask them, well, are you a Christian? why are you a Christian? Well, I'm a Christian because you know, I was raised in the church and I did communion. I walked the aisle. I got baptized. I did all these things. They point to some of these works that they have done. And again, we are not saved by works, but through grace, by faith in Christ. And so when we share things, we want people to understand what it is that God has called us to do and really the state that we're in. So last week we talked a lot about black, the color black. Black represents sin, darkness, right? We just went through Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish in darkness. He cried out to God. And sin is something we don't talk about a whole lot in, in churches or in society. The world talks about sin. They make light of sin. But in churches a lot of times we don't talk about it, but it's the state that we are in. It is sin that has separated us from God. And again, in Isaiah 59, 2, we shared this last week, your iniquities or your sins have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. It is sin that separates us from God. One of our faults is that we compare ourselves to others. Well, I'm not as bad as this person, and, and I don't do those things, and we sort of get this moral concept in our mind. What we need to understand and what we need everyone to understand is sin separates us from God. And, and Ray Comfort, he does a great little series, if you ever watch how he witnesses from, I call it, from a soapbox to people. Uh, you can bring people right to the point that they have to admit that they are sinners. And sin, it says, separates us from sin. And we talked about that, as Jesus says, it's not a doctor, or excuse me, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it is the sick. He says, I haven't come to, to save the righteous, but sinners I have called to repentance. And it's not that there are those that are self-righteous in, in God's eyes, but there are those that don't think that their sins are that bad that it separates them from God. They think that their works are enough to get them from heaven. And so we need to understand that people need to be aware, and we're going to just bring it right to us. We need to be aware that it is our sin that separates us from God and that we have a problem and that we need to go to him to uh, find that forgiveness in that grace and that mercy that he offers. And so many times when people are in sin, they feel guilty. And so as pastoring a little over 30 years now, one of the things that I see is when people get enveloped in sin in their life or, or fall into the, 
the sin pattern in their life, they begin to fall away from things. They begin to fall away from devotions or prayer or Bible studies and church and maybe even Christian fellowship because their sin is, is continually brought up to them. And so we tend to hide from that. And that's not a, a new problem. It's not a, a, a modern thing that we do. Adam and Eve did the very same thing. It says that they hid from God. Their eyes were opened when they were disobedient, when they were sinful towards God. Their eyes were opened up and they hid from God. And so they, again, wanted to clothe themselves, their nakedness. They were open to their, to their true condition. And that's where we meet God, is when we really discover our condition before God. We are laid, literally, uh, bare before God. He sees our very heart, our soul, our intent, everything that is in us. And God sees these things. And so it says Adam and Eve tried to cover with a fig leaf. A fig leaf is not a good covering. It says even in their sinful state, it said God provided them with animal skin, something more appropriate. And I like that because it shows that God is really taking care of us. He really wants us to be in this relationship. We just saw that going through Jonah, that even in Jonah's disobedience, God was pursuing him. And he was pursuing Adam and Eve in this situation too. And so we also see in our sinful state blame, right? We talked a little bit, I think, maybe about Adam and Eve. You know, Adam blamed the woman. The woman who you gave me, you know, that's why this happened. And then it says that Eve, she blamed the snake. You know, the serpent deceived me. We're not accountable to those things. We need to be accountable to God. When we have these things in our life, we need to go to him. There is one mediator between us and God, and that is through Christ Jesus. And so we go to him and we confess our sins to him for the things that we have in our life. And so it starts with us in our life. You know, is your heart right with God? Are there things in your life that you know don't belong there? Because, you know, when the world looks at us, they're going to see what we do. You know, I was raised... Um, my mom, bless her heart, but she, she was into the world uh, full bore when I was growing up. And so uh, she would tell me as a young teenager, you know, don't smoke as she was smoking. Don't do drugs as she was doing drugs. And don't drink and do these things as she was doing those things. What do you think her advice meant to me? It didn't mean much. It just meant that, you know, it was sort of that do as I tell you, not as I do type thing. And so, of course, I got into all those things because I saw as a, a model those things that were around me. So again, Christian fellowship is important because we have role models around us and none of us is perfect, but we have these role models around us that can encourage us and be examples to us. And so Genesis 6-5 tells us that, that every intention and in the thoughts of humanity's heart is only continually evil. Do you have that, that concept of what God's word is trying to tell us? It really tells me that there is nothing redeemable in me apart from Christ. And I don't say that, you know, for any other reason than that that's really what I believe. And I believe that's what God teaches us. That there is nothing redeemable in me. You know, everybody wants to say, well, you know, you got these good things. We have some good characteristics in us. But from an eternal perspective, the Bible says that there is, is nothing really redeemable in me. And that it's by an act of grace and mercy that God loves me. The one thing that he did is he made me in his image. He's made you in his image. He's made all of us in his image. And his desire and his love for us as we talk about this is what draws us to him. So as we look at sin, 
I also want us to realize this, that sin doesn't only just affect the guilty, the one who is living in sin, but it has a powerful effect on other people around us. Do you ever think about that in your life? The sin that you're involved in has a, has a powerful effect on those that are around you. And so when we go back to Adam and Eve, we can look at Adam and Adam's sin affected Eve. Eve's sin affected Adam. Adam and Eve's sin together affected all humanity, right? We are lost because of a sin of disobedience. And so the scripture tells us in Romans 5.12, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people. So through the sin of Adam, the sin of Adam and Eve, it says death entered this world. We were condemned to death by the sin of Adam. Our death is caused by somebody else's sin back then. And so when we look at our lives today, I want you to think about how does your sin, whether we want to classify them as big or small or great or little or however we like to do it, um, it affects other people. And I want you to understand that. Exodus, God says this, he punishes the children and their children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. I remember reading that and thinking, that does not make sense. What, what does that mean? That, that the sins of the fathers um, are going to affect their children to the third and fourth generation. Where is the logic in that? We would say that's not fair, but it's really perfectly logical if we look at it. The logic is in this. That the sins that we participate in affect others. As a father, the sins that I uh, do in my life can affect my children, can affect the, their belief, can affect the way they walk, can affect that the things that they do, whatever they are. It can affect through generations. And we don't think about this much. We don't think about how our, our sins have ripple effects through our family. Does it affect my wife? Sure it does. You know, sometimes men will say, well, pornography is just, you know, that's just, I'm just looking at a book and this and that. But does it affect your relationship with your wife? Sure it does. Is it going to affect your relationship with your children if they know about those things? Are you being that example where, you know, your boys are going to be raised the same way? What about abuse in the family? We can see all these things that have ripple effects and they affect down for generations sometimes. And it's not a curse. It's not something that can't be broken. But we need to understand. We need to be accountable for the sins in our life. You know back in uh, 2002. We just celebrated is the wrong word. But we just remembered uh, 9-11. Right back in, in 2002. And so I'm a football fan. And back in 2002 at the, at the Super Bowl. There was a, a commercial. It actually was a, a public service announcement. That came on. So usually when we watch Super Bowl commercials. You know, they're funny. You got the little dogs doing this, and you got the funny sort of things that you got to think about and laugh about. But there was one that came on, and there was a group of teenagers uh, that came on uh, the commercial. You can still, I think, I think you can still YouTube it. Um, one after another, and one said this. One says, I blew up buildings. Another one said, I killed police officers. Another one said, I killed my teachers. Another one said, I bombed a bank. And then the commercial took a, a slight shift to a, another young person who said this, I didn't hurt anyone myself. Drug abuse is a victimless crime. It doesn't hurt anyone but me. And then there was another switch that happened. It said drug money finances terrorism. And at the very end it said, every time you do drugs, 
you participate in terrorism. Now, there's not anything real spiritual about that, but there's a lesson that can be learned there. Sometimes we say, my sin doesn't affect others. But I'll tell you, as a person sitting here, as a part of this body, your sin affects this body. My sin would affect this church. It's not just me. It's not even just my family, but it's others. It's my neighbors. It's my community. It's the world as we see it today. We have become a a country that minimizes the act of sin. And we say, my sin, my problem, leave me alone, worry about yourself. But then when we're dealing with others, trying to lead them to Christ, we really need to drive that point home that our sin separates us from God. If it separates me from God as a father, the, the chances of my children being involved in church because I'm not involved in church because of my sin, is going to be greater. The children tend to follow the father into the church situation. You're a role model. There are eyes amongst you. Coming from broken homes, sometimes those children look to other role models that they emulate. You know, I I share a story every now and then about uh, Charles Barkley. He's a basketball player, and in one game anyways, he... Whatever, he ended up in the crowd or something and some fan said something to him and he turned around and he spit on that fan. The NBA fined him and they said, you're an ambassador for the NBA. That's, you know, not tolerable. Charles Barkley's made the argument, he says, I didn't ask to be an ambassador for the NBA. The NBA said, that's too bad you are. If you're a believer in Christ, there's eyes upon you and you have a responsibility to be an example to those around you. And you need to deal with the sin that's in your life. God has called us to be a holy people. We know we're not going to be perfect in this life. I explain that when I share the gospel with people. Hey, look, at, I'm not perfect. Don't put your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on Christ. He's the perfect one. I'm just a vessel that, that he is saved by grace. I'm just a sinner, a sinner saved by grace. And so I can ask somebody, do you know Jesus Christ? As your Lord and Savior. Have you accepted him? Do you trust in him? Do you believe in him? Because those are personal questions that get somebody to look inside their their soul. If I just say, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Okay. Oh, yeah, they're a Christian. I asked them. They said they're a Christian. But when you ask somebody something personal that digs deep in, they're going to have to examine themselves and they're going to have to look at those things. And so when they begin to look at those things, we can look at, Things like, if a woman, wife, she's pregnant, congratulations, Brooke. But if a woman is pregnant and she decides to uh, abuse drugs and alcohol, there's a chance that it can affect that baby, right? It doesn't just affect the mother. It can affect that whole family, you know? And so when we look at these things, we know that children that come out of abusive homes, right? And we've all dealt with probably situations like that where we know families that have had abuse, the chances of those children growing up in either being in abusive homes or being abusive themselves is much greater. So we know these things affect others. And so we need to deal with these things. What I do, good or bad, affects my wife. It affects my children. It affects, you know, my whole family. It affects my church. It affects my friends. And so I need to be aware of that. We need to share that with people. Sin separates us from God. We need to deal with that sin to be right with God. And the good news is this, is that God offers 
forgiveness when we sin. There is that offering. There is that, that, that way out that God offers. And so that's the second point that we talk about. So we're in Romans 5.12. It said, sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people. The next chapter up in Romans 6.23, it says, uh, Paul says this, though the sin of one man, Adam, death came into the world. But then he goes on to say this. God's grace comes through one man, Jesus Christ. And that's the hope that we have. And so we can make people feel sort of bad about their sin. If I dwell on my sin, I, I feel bad about sin in my life. Sin that I wrestle with, sin that I've had in my past, even the thought of sin in the future, that I may stumble or fall or get into those things. We need to be very guarded in our life. But the one thing that I know is that Jesus Christ is sure and true. So black represents sin, but forgiveness and in Jesus, we find that there is hope. And so that hope comes through what? It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but all have eternal life. God has given us that promise through John 3.16. Romans 5.8, But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. Why we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Don't ever think and don't ever lead somebody to think, you know, Get these things in line so God will accept you into his kingdom. That's not what coming to Christ is about. God meets us in our mess. He meets us when we are broken. As the scripture says, why we are still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, when Christ hung upon that cross, I always do visuals in my head. And I can, I can sort of picture him hanging up there. And as he's looking down, he's looking at those people. He's looking at you and I because he's looking from times past to times in the future, he's looking at sinners. He's looking at people that are never going to accept him. He's looking at the blasphemers. He's looking at the ones that are gambling his clothes away. He's looking at the one that drove the, the, the stakes into his hands. He's looking at the one that scourged him and whipped him. He's looking at those that have lied to him, but he's also looking at those that someday through his grace and through his mercy, we're going to accept him as Lord and Savior. And so this says, it wasn't because of the righteousness that we did that we're saved. Because the scripture is very clear that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so when we're telling people you need to deal with your sin, yeah, we feel bad about our sin. Yeah, it's a terrible thing. It separates us from God. But we say this, you know what? In your sinful state, Jesus loved you. In your sinful state, Jesus died for you. Romans 8.38 goes on, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything uh, else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now listen, don't misinterpret that scripture to say, you know, I can do what I want, live as I want, and, and God's love is just going to overflow me. That's not what the scripture is saying. They're saying that there's nothing so vile, so evil that you and I have done that God's love cannot touch and change. I believe as long as people have breath in their body and they can come to Christ. That's our job. That's what God has called us to do, to be a light into a dark world. We may look at people. I mean, I work in a prison. I see people that, as we talked in Sunday school this morning, that have done the most inimaginable things. I mean, I've read files, and they're just, I mean, there's just things that just can get you sick thinking about those things. 
But Jesus died for that person. As, as vile as that is, Jesus died for that. Because it wasn't the most vile sin in the world that separated mankind from God. It was the sin of disobedience. God said, don't eat of this tree. And they went and ate of a piece of fruit from that tree. It was a sin of disobedience. As long as people have breath, there is hope. God tells us, spread that hope. Speak that hope into somebody's life. Do you know how many people are really just searching in the world today? We probably don't know because we don't ask. We see people going through struggles and just think, well, they'll get through it. We see people putting their hope and their trust in other things. Maybe it's finances, maybe it's money, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's this or that. We think of all these things that people can put their trust and hope in. Are you making sure that they're putting their trust and their hope in something that has eternal value? Are you asking them, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's what it means that nothing can separate us from the love of God. There is no barrier that we can put up that Christ can't break through. Now we need to yield ourselves to him. We need to acknowledge and accept that gift that he has given us. But it tells us right there that there is nothing in this world that can separate us from the love of God. It is there for the taking. It is there for the asking. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 says, because, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. So as we share the blackest sin, and I'm dead in my sins, I'm dead in my trespasses, I'm dead in my iniquities, guess what? The grace and mercy of Christ made us alive in him. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And again, I always like to explain grace and mercy because we throw those words around, but I want you to really try to grasp this because as you share the gospel, it's important that people know Grace is receiving what you do not, what you have not earned. It's a free gift. It's something I have done nothing to do. It. Gene comes up, gives me 20 bucks and says, here. So what did I do to earn that, Gene? He says, you haven't done anything. Just take it. That's what Jesus is really offering, though it's worth way more than 20 bucks. He's saying, here, Craig, I'm offering you eternal life. But, but I need to do, you know, I need to get some things right. I, you know, my life isn't perfect yet. Jesus tells me, your life is never going to be perfect until I'm in it. Your righteousness is going to come through me. So grace is receiving what you do not earn. There's nothing I can do to get it. You know, people would be a lot happier if you just, you know, were to say, hey, give me five bucks and you're safe. Oh yeah, because we felt like we've done something. Here, there, now I feel better because I've done something. You ever have somebody ask you out for dinner? And, or, you know, you're, maybe you're just out eating with somebody and then all of a sudden they grab the the tab and they, they pay it. Oh, we feel terrible about that. Oh, well, next time, next time it's, uh, it's our treat and we're going to fight to make sure, you know, instead of just accepting the grace that's there. Jesus paid a debt that we can never repay, right? Amen. He's paid the price and there's nothing that we can do to, to, you know, balance it out or to, you know, oh, I'm going to work real hard now the rest of my life. Jesus, just to, to show you how happy I am for that he just says, live for me, live for me. You're never going to pay back what Christ has done for us. And so by grace, we have been saved. First John 4, 9, 11, this is how he showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to the world that we might live through him. That's the eternal life. 
comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. It comes through the remission of our sins. Jesus tells us that, he, that we might live through him. And it tell, goes on to tell us this. This is love. You ever want to know the definition of love? This is love. 1 John 4.11 or 4.10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Some, some people say, you know, well, well, I love Jesus. The more important thing is, is that Jesus loved me. Jesus loved me enough to call me. I love Jesus, but I can only get a glimpse of who he truly is. He loves me with his whole being, his whole, his whole essence, his whole life. He went to Calvary and died for my sins. And so when I look at that, we understand that. So red is the second color that we talk about, and red represents the blood of Christ. I loved our songs today. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so we talk about sin. We feel hopeless. There's hope. There's hope in the blood of Jesus. The blood of Christ actually comes through a Mosaic law thing where it tells us in Hebrews 9.22, the fact that the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. That used to always throw me for a loop when I'd read that. Cleanse with blood, that just sounds disgusting. Churches today don't talk about the blood. Because blood is, is, is something we don't like to talk about. It just conjures up, you know, sort of bad things. I, I've never watched The Passion of the Christ because it's like I'm watching my best friend get killed. And it, if, I mean, I've seen glimpses of it. I've seen little clips of it. We show it in the prison all the time. Um, but it, it's gory. It's gory. And so a lot of times we don't talk about this blood. But this blood is a, a, a sacrificial death and the atoning work. So the blood represents what was shed upon the cross. But guess what? There's a lot of people that died on the cross. There's a lot of people that shed blood on the cross. Not to minimize that that was Jesus, the Son of God, whose blood was there. But it's that he was the perfect lamb without spot or blemish. And it's the redeeming and it's the atoning work that he has done through that lifeblood, God's lifeblood that was given for us. And he did that on our behalf. He did that for you and I. And so the Savior's blood incorporates both of those things, the bleeding on there, but also for the remission of sins. And so when we see this, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9.22. So we tell people, people say, that's not fair that Jesus had to die for me. It may not be fair, but it's what he did. It's what is required to come to him. He loved us enough that he gave his life for that. And it was a foreshadowing of the once for all, because up until that point, they were doing, you know, birds and rams and goats and, and all these other animals. And yearly they would go to the temple and they would uh, sacrifice these animals' life for the payment of their sins. And so Jesus was that once for all. And so the night even before with his, uh, his disciples, as he was up in the room, he shared uh, that cup. And it was the night before that he was going to go to that cross, and he said this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And he says, this has been poured out for you. This new covenant is the new promise. This is the fulfilling of the Old Testament prophet, that, that this is the once for all payment. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so as the goats and the sheep and all those other animals were a reminder, it was Christ that really um, said this is paid in full. And as he hung upon the cross, 
he cried out, it is finished. And he meant that, that it is finished. I have paid for the sins of the world. So the question is, is what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? See, there's two connotations there. One is Lord, that means he is over me. And that means I do what he wants me to do. Savior means that he has bought me by the blood of the Lamb. He has bought me with his blood to be his. By his blood we are freed from sin to serve him, to walk in his ways. You know, we talked about the school not teaching uh, the Bible like they, they used to. All that does is that puts a, a, a bigger responsibility on the families. You know, the family should have always been doing it. I think they always have been doing it through history. It's never been really the school's responsibility to, to raise our kids you know, in, in a faith, even though they did, and it was, we were founded on godly principles, that's great. But there's a responsibility in the home to do that too. And so we're freed to serve him, to enjoy him, to walk in his ways. Deuteronomy, I think, talks about, you know, you wear these frontlets. They used to wear these things. And it says, teach your children these things. As you walk by the way, when you lay down, when you get up, when you're eating, when you're doing, we teach our children through the day the beauty of God. I love the woods. I'm an outdoorsman. I'm out there and, and I, you know, every tree, I, I can stare at trees. I just, you know, I'm sort of crazy that way because every tree is unique and beautiful in its own way. Every leaf, creation. I watch the river down at our cabin go by. If we're up in Canada at the lake, I look at the animals that I'm privileged to harvest or just even just to observe. And I just think, man, God is just wonderful. God is just beautiful. And you know, he has provided all these things for us. And so we have sin, and we have the blood, and we have the sacrifice. The sacrifice is defined as the offering of, of something precious. That's Jesus. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. That's the sacrifice. Jesus went to the cross for you and I. The atonement is satisfying something or someone. It's the payment for. So when we look at a sacrifice in an atonement, we say, here's the gift. Here's offering up something that is so precious. God's one and only son. And here is the atonement. He paid a debt that I could not pay. When you begin to talk to people about a relationship with God in that way, I'll tell you, you blow them away because it's something that they haven't heard. They've heard their whole life, you need to go to church, you need to go to Sunday school, you need to, you know, we carry Bibles, but you need to read your Bible also. You know, you need to live for Jesus because he died for you. And we teach about a relationship, not some, you know, high in the sky, far off God, but a God who has given us his Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in us. How do I know I'm a believer? Just as the scripture says, his spirit testifies with my spirit. I know that he lives because he's alive in me. And we teach people that, and it's not just going through the checklist of things, but it's this relationship with him. And that only by accepting Jesus and by the gift of this blood that was shed on the cross by his atoning sacrifice that we can be made righteous in Christ. Our last scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That was Jesus. That's a mystery. That's something we can't really wrap our head fully around, but Faith is something that we believe, not always understanding. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Jesus became sin for us. And so when he was nailed to that cross, 
when he breathed his last in this life, and he cried out before that, it is finished, he says that payment is done in full. That sin is paid. And so the question is, what do you do with that? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. The righteousness I have in my life is what Christ has done. Not by works that I can boast, but by his grace and by his mercy. Let's pray.